As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. show weekend review on this episode we're looking back on a weekend where marsh madness took hold at ellen road as raucous chants of let's go brendan were aimed at the blue side at least in my mind they were and sterling was devalued by unilateralism based tactics as american as apple pie elsewhere saudi arabia's newcastle united and abu dhabi's manchester city showed us that sports washing can be fun if you ignore all the really bad stuff psg and Bayern munich both won their respective leagues there were a few six-goal games in MLS, had to count them there. And birthday boy Robert Lewandowski made us forget Barcelona haven't registered all their players yet. My name's Ryan Bailey. I am back from vacation. I've definitely had a better week than Thomas Tuchel. And since he didn't have to watch Manchester United yet as we record, Taylor Rockwell, I assume you've had a Zenfield weekend too. I'm not going to lie. That Leeds win definitely erased some of my concerns about Manchester United, which is a strange thing to say as a Man United fan about Leeds. But man, that win was fun. Jesse Marsh's celebration very much included. Indeed. We're going to have to unpack that statement a bit later on, T. But um, let's say we're going to be joined right now by a man who's very excited to talk about that American revolution in the marshlands of West Yorkshire. Joe Lowry, how are you feeling? Good, Ryan. I'm glad you can find a, an American revolution that you can sort of say somewhat happily. Yeah. Um, the first one didn't go super great for you all. The second one doesn't seem to be going too great for the British either. But so far, so good for us Americans. Uh Thanks, Joe. Yeah, I'm all up for revolutions where no tea is wasted in any harbours. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Uh, also joining us, Joe, a man who was thrilled by all the racy, big budget action, the killer instincts and the sheer intensity of this weekend. But that's enough about that old house of the dragon. Graham Rutherford, <laughs> did you also enjoy the soccer? Uh, I did. I haven't had time to watch... Is that what the Game of Thrones spin-off is called? I assume it's just called Game of Thrones. We're going to try not mess this up at the end like the, the original <laughs> series. So we'll see how yeah. it pans out. House of the Money, I think, is the full title, Graham. Um, but yes, I, I believe that has been in the news this weekend. Um, what do you mean you don't haven't had time? I thought you watched everything on like eight screens at once. <laughs> well, I, I watched another uh, fancy film on Saturday night. I watched the latest whatever the Harry Potter spin-off is called, all of its spin-offs at the moment, it wasn't very good. So if that's a precursor for 
uh, Game of Thrones spinoff. Uh, I'm not holding out much hope. Are any of those good? Are any of the Harry Potter spinoffs good? Mm, first one's okay. There's a good scene at the end of the second one. Third one's pretty bad. All right. Asked and answered. Thank you, Graham. <laughs> I've never seen any Harry Potters. What are these spinoffs we were talking about here? They're called Fantastic Beasts. Oh, okay. Is Jude Law in those? Uh, he, he is, but he is not one of the aforementioned beast, beasts. He's, I see. He's, he's a very handsome man. He's just fantastic. I like the sound of that. Okay, um, before we get to the games, we've got plenty to cover from this weekend. Taylor, there's big news that you dropped in our Slack channel. It turns out you're from the West Country, from Somerset in England. Evidently. Evidently, it, go- it goes back quite some distance. I don't have any recollection of that. But, uh, yeah, visiting my dad, he has a whole chart of where the family comes from. And we come from, yeah, that area. Don't know what to make of that. Don't know what that means. But there you go. Ryan, tell me more. Uh, so my in-laws are all from that area, very Uh-oh. near where That's you were uh, apparently from, <laughs> Taylor. Um, so you traced yourself back to the 1500s uh, coming from Somerset. Uh, currently, Somerset's in somewhere around the 1600s. So they've come along a little hey. way since your family progress. departed for the States. Progress indeed, progress indeed. Uh, I'll tell you about progress. How about Leeds United making some rather wonderful progress this weekend? A 3-0 win over Chelsea. Some incredible intensity on display from Leeds in this one. Their first win over Chelsea in seven attempts, dating all the way back to the year 2000, back before they went bust the last time. Fun times indeed. And Joe Lowry, all three Leeds goals either scored or assisted by former MLS players. How about that? Yeah, we were getting the major Leeds soccer altered MLS logo tossing around on Twitter yesterday. Yesterday was just a great day for MLS fans who really like to watch European soccer too. It was a, a pretty much a banner day for that between Leeds doing their thing with Marsh and Adams and Aronson and Jack Harrison, all former Major League Soccer players and coaches. And then you have Miguel Amiron for Newcastle scoring and, and playing really well and then just an electric 3-3 draw for Newcastle against Man City in the uh, the <laughs> I'm trying to decide how we should brand this. For now, the sports washing derby is, is good enough until I think of something better. But that was a great game, and Amiron played well, I thought, in that one too. So for Leeds, you have a ton of American influence. Between that and Marsh absolutely Rob Gronkowski just Gronk spiking his water bottle <laughs> after the third goal for Leeds that put them up 3-0, this game was just pure entertainment, of course, unless you were an actual Chelsea fan. I was I was a big fan. Uh, one of the top comments on Reddit in response to that celebration was uh, just the anticipation of Handshake Gate Part 2 when he went to shake <laughs> Tuchel's hand. The consensus being that Jesse Marsh needed to grab Thomas Tuchel's hand, look him in the eye, and loudly proclaim, You got marshed! Which does feel like a thing that maybe he would have thrown out. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, I really hope he did. I liked uh, Jesse Marsh swinging his jacket around his head while the Kaiser, Chief, Kaiser Chiefs blasted out uh, on the Tannoy at Ellen Road as well. That was quite a sight uh, to behold. Um, Graham, on the NBC coverage... Uh, they talked about his vertical straight line press. I think that's the term when I wrote it down okay. in my notes. Um, particularly for Aronson, obviously, uh, to close in on uh, Mendy to force the error for the first goal. And no look finish, by the way, from Aronson yeah. as well. Very stylish indeed. Yeah, from six but, inches away. Ooh. I know. It counts. Bold. Nice. That's, that's the what makes it extra insulting. <laughs> that's what makes it extra insulting. That's the best part about it. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, um, insulting, if not like highly difficult, it's, perhaps. It's one step away from getting down on his hands and knees yeah. and heading it in across the line. <laughs> That's that I would we celebrate. That. that I would celebrate. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't the only one who did that when I was a kid. <laughs> of course. You got to. I hate Absolutely. that kid. I hate that kid so much. <laughs> We're getting back to the grand, to the uh, the vertical straight line press. I don't know if the press has to operate on a grid system, but uh, it was certainly impressive, the press, uh, particularly in the first half. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this game in, in, in general just shows everything that Leeds are, are about under Jesse Marsh. And I think this is one of the this was one of the best matches that Leeds have played since returning to the Premier League, not just under Jesse Jesse Marsh. But Thomas Tuchel after the game, he put the defeat for Chelsea down to mistakes and he also blamed having to get a bus to Leeds rather than flying, poor soul. Uh, but I, I thought that that did Leeds a, a disservice because they, because they played a, an excellent game. And, and Marsh, really, I feel Marsh needed a win like this. Even though Leeds had started the season relatively well, four points from, from two games, he needed a win to prove to Leeds fans that after three years of Bielsa, that this team is still going to entertain them. And Leeds are, are still capable of playing this, this high-intensity, high-octane football. And obviously, it's slightly different under Marsh than it was under Bielsa. But Leeds were, were certainly entertaining in this game. I think it's fair to say Brendan Aronson has has made a good first impression in the Premier League. There is a lot of chatter about him at the moment, not just among USMNT fans, among general Premier League fans. And and with, with good reason. He scored two goals in three games. Yes, I'm still counting the own goal that definitely wasn't an own goal against Wolves. Attaboy, but Attaboy. it's it's actually his um like overall performances that I think have been most impressive. He he was absolutely everywhere in this match. And the Times actually published um the Times of London in the UK actually published a touch match a touch map of Aronson from this match and it's just dots plotted in every area of the pitch you can imagine. I I'm not sure I've ever seen a touch map quite like quite like it. It is genuinely genuinely all over the place. And he's just he's just a, a pressing machine, as Edward Mendy found out to his cost for the first goal, where he just dissolved under pressure from uh, from Aronson. I, I do have some questions about how you maintain that intensity over a full season, but but right yeah. now it's producing serious results for Leeds and, and a full and, game, Graham. Yeah, exactly. And and it's, but for right now, speaking at this moment, three games into the season, it's producing real results. And I think Aronson embodies a lot of what Marsh wants Leeds to be, and I think Tyler Adams as well embodies a lot of what he wants Leeds to be. But I, I've I've been speaking for a while, so I'll let someone else take the mic on what Tyler Adams did in this game. Adams was brilliant in this match, as were pretty much all of Leeds. So I saw this. This game was on at 6 a.m. my time on, on Sunday morning. I did not wake up for the start of this game, but I'd seen this score. Neither did Chelsea. I went back through it. <laughs> yeah, neither did Chelsea. That's a good one. I, yeah. uh, I, I'd seen this score already, and so I went back through. And I, initially in my notes, before the game even started, I wrote down what a result for Leeds, right? Because 3-0 against Chelsea, against a, a, a real contender, certainly to be back in the Champions League spots again next season in Chelsea. You know, this is a massive game. I was looking through the betting odds before this weekend, and and Chelsea are massive favorites even away at Leeds. So I wrote down what a result for them, because three points against Chelsea is huge. And then after I watched the game, I went back and, thro- and wrote, comma, and what a performance too, because it really was. From Aronson, you had him doing a lot of valuable things. You had Jack Harrison doing some, some really useful stuff on the wing. I mean, every piece of this team I thought did a lot of good stuff. Tyler Adams might have done more good stuff than anybody. He wasn't perfect. There's some moments where I feel like he doesn't contain the ball quite as well as he as he could have, if not should have, but at least as well as he could have. He uh, he gets a little too aggressive in the fifth minute and then gets blown by uh, by Cucurella in the tenth minute. But in general, he gets what? He, he gets blown blown right by by Cucurella, okay. right? right? I mean, it's 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 pretty <laughs> it's pretty bad. So this happens a couple oh, of times, dear. but by and large, Adams was everywhere doing everything just like Aronson was everywhere doing everything but Adams does that stuff in a higher value area he shifts wide there's a moment in the 60th minute where Chelsea are on a little bit of a break they don't have a numbers up advantage 
But Mason Mount gets the ball out on the right wing, and and the left back for Leeds has already been bypassed. And so Adams is the guy who sprints the 40 yards or whatever it is to go and close Mason Mount down to give his teammates time to track back. And that attack then turns into nothing for Chelsea because Tyler Adams was aware and is mobile enough to go and stop that stuff before it even starts. I thought Adams was great. I thought Arrington was good. I thought all of Leeds did a lot of really impressive stuff in this game. I I saw someone on Twitter say that when Adams, Tyler Adams, is is playing at his best, it makes opposition teams feel like they're a man down. And I think that's how Chelsea must have felt for for periods of this match. There was was one moment in particular... Until they actually went a man down as well, right? (laughs) Yeah, true, absolutely. (laughs) there was there was one moment in this in this match. It came about um, seven minutes in, which I just thought it wasn't the perfect Tyler Adams um, passage of play, but it just kind of summed up for me what he does. And and that quote of that that thing that someone said on Twitter about feeling like you're a man down. It just kind of sum, summed that up where he collects a loose pass in the center of the pitch. He, he plays a pass forward, but it's blocked. So that's the not ideal, but that's it, an unsuccessful pass. But he then gets the ball back. He then plays it out to his right back. And he loses the ball. And then Cucurella plays it to mm-hmm. Sterling. And Sterling gets turned. And it's just it's at that moment where you feel like he's just about to start dribbling towards goal. When all of a sudden Tyler Adams is there and wins the ball back and plays a, a, a line-breaking pass through to Aronson. And it's just like, that was the work of two players that you just did there. Where you're both playing the passes but also winning the ball back as well. In like three different phases of sequences of play. And it, 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 he just had one of those games, much like Aronson, where it just felt like he was he was everywhere. And I think so much of that goes down to that relationship between Adams and Marsh. I think Adams, to me, is a player who is extremely coachable, very good at a lot of things. But I think if you ask him to do certain specific things, he is capable of doing them even if they are outside his normal skill set. I think back to there was a Champions League game when he was with Leipzig. Nagelsmann was still there. And I remember, Joe, it's a game that you and I talked about. Maybe all of us talked about, actually, that he he starts being heavily involved in the attack and getting forward and facilitating play. And that's a specific instruction. But he is the one who elevates his performance in the second half. And I look at this performance against Chelsea And it definitely seems like one where he's given a lot of responsibility, but specific instructions on how to close down and how to limit attacks. And he does a really effective job of doing just that, including when he is beaten. There's one of those moments early on, as you said, Joe, where Kukurea gets by him. One time I think he fouls him. One time he probably fouls him but gets away with it. But I'm even okay with that intentional foul because it's something that we see the most drilled teams do. If you're beaten, foul. Pick up a card if you have to. I don't think he does here. But... You stop that play, you stop that sequence from occurring, and you just give your team a little bit of a break to get back into their defensive shape. And I think having a player that will make that sacrifice, that will put in that challenge, that has that immediate awareness of, I'm beaten, i got to do something here to stop it, there's not that half-second delay that could let Raheem Sterling get away. I think that makes a huge difference. The scary thing for American fans is how aggressive he is going into balls, and I think Joe, I know that you're an advocate of wrapping him in bubble wrap. I think a way around that is something that I've noticed him doing. I can't quite explain it particularly well. I will try. But I think it's a it's probably a a murder ball adjacent drill has led to Tyler Adams getting his feet set before every single tackle. It's almost like he's it's the equivalent of getting set to take a charge where he gets his feet sort of squarely behind the ball so that even if somebody is coming in for a tackle on the ball, it almost always pops out in front of Adams and away from that defender. I can't explain it other than he gets his feet set and then sort of lifts the ball or himself over the tackle. If you watch him do it, you'll see him routinely getting his feet set right behind the ball and then that challenge comes in. But I think it goes a long way towards explaining how he's able to pick up those loose balls after a tackle occurs and to see how much lead 
Leeds fans were appreciating him and Brendan Aronson and, J- and Jesse Marsh to some extent was a very exciting day for a person who has cared a lot about Americans abroad. That's great, Taylor. If you had to pick the best American performance of the day, would it be Marsh? Would it be Aronson? Would it be Adams? Would it be Jack Harrison, who is an honorary American like myself, I like to think? Or would it be Christian Pulisic's dad, who um, went harder on Chelsea on social media than any Leeds player went on the field? Oh, I didn't see I mean, that. Did he do that? I didn't that? see that either, but I'm inclined to say Pulisic's dad, because why not? Have a go. Get in there. Googling yeah, the, Mark uh, Pulisic as we speak. <laughs> yeah, Mar- Marky Pulisic. Um, is that his dad or his record uncle? I forget anti- which one's which. It's his dad. Yeah, it's his dad. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was Mark. Who, who um, he liked some anti-Tuckle tweets and did some other stuff, should we ah. say. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that old that old. I'd ploy. say Adams, though, to answer your, honor, to your question, honestly. I think he had a probably the, le- the least standout performance, didn't get a goal or anything like that. He did have that one rocket that for a moment I thought was going to be on frame, and that would have... Made me like break a television or like have my head explode. I'm not quite sure. But I, I, I thought for the reasons Graham already outlined, he just made so many big plays, stopped so many moments, and was just a frustrating player for Chelsea. You could see heads go down. You could see him break the spirit a little bit. Any player who can sort of kill off opposition momentum that effectively deserves yeah. a shout. What, what an advantage for the USMNT to have a player like that. I know there's so much chat about number nines and needing a, re- a, a reliable goal scorer with good reason, but... To have a player like Tyler Adams, you can just stick at the base of your midfield and that's all that he brings and offers to a team. That That's just so valuable. It would be a shame if you played 90 minutes for every game between now and November 21st <laughs> and something happened to him like we've seen happen before. That, that, that would, would just be a shame. suck, huh? Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Um, I'd like to turn the conversation to Chelsea, but before we do, um, Graham, this Leeds team who lost Calvin Phillips, who lost Rafinha, uh-huh. we, we expected they might be weaker this season. But perhaps they're not. What do we make of the state? What's the state of the union of Leeds United right now? If you um, I I expected them to be weaker, and I think they are weaker on on an individual talent basis. I have been surprised at how quickly they've been remolded by Marsh. But I did expect that this team would be more in line with what he with with his own identity as as a coach and the way they're they're a bit more direct in the in in, in the final third and we've seen that and it and it has been a great start to the season by Leeds who they're they're currently in the top 4 I know it's only 3 games in but Champions League football on the way if you if if you want to look at it that way but obviously that that might be going a bit far but I am very impressed um as I say with how quickly they've adapted this might be a bit reductive but if you look at some of the statistics in the Premier League after 3 games this season Top goal scorer, Rodrigo. Most assists, Jack Harrison. Most chances created, also Jack Harrison. Most tackles, Pascal Struch. Most team tackles, Leeds. Most interceptions, Leeds. So they're they're doing pretty well on both in, in the real table and also the statistical tables. Yeah, stop the count. Stop the count, I say. Um, Joe, let's talk about Chelsea. Uh, what on earth went on here? A very different performance from last week against Spurs. I mean, when that Raheem Sterling goal which t- turned out to be offside went in early doors I thought okay here we go but a very different story here for Chelsea is it a simple case of no Kovacic no Conte in the middle and there's the problems or something else going on here I, I don't know I don't think it's directly related to the midfield personnel I thought Connor Gallagher had some good moments in this game actually I thought early on he had a nice progressive pass that helped Chelsea move forward I really like Gallagher's game And so I didn't mind seeing him in that double pivot of sorts with Jorginho in possession. We saw this same flexible three at the back that becomes a four at the back at times, depending on where Reese James is positioned and Ruben Loftus-Cheek is playing as a wing back. But he can tuck in. And then in the second half, he just straight up played as a midfielder. And Chelsea moved to a back four to try to create something. I just can't shake the feeling right now with this team. I I think there's plenty of talent in this group. I think they're more than talented enough 
to go and, and finish in the top three, the top four. There's no doubt about that in my mind whatsoever. They just feel too rigid right now. When you watch them play, yeah, Raheem Sterling had a couple of good moments. Mason Mount had a couple of good moments. But they didn't create all that much, all that often. It's a lot of, okay, we're finding our structure and we're getting the ball and, and we're moving into the final third. And then by the time all that's done, it didn't feel like there was enough pace in moving those attacks to get Leeds disorganized in the back. And credit to Leeds because they do organize very, very quickly, both in the press and in a little bit of a deeper block. But I don't, I don't think Chelsea moved the ball quickly enough, and I don't think they were creative enough or had enough ideas on the ball. And, and when I say ideas, basically I think about off-ball movement, I think about quick combination play, I think about runners into good spots. I don't think we saw nearly enough of that. And it does get difficult when you factor in the game state here of them being down multiple goals. They're down 2-0 by the 37th minute. Leads incentive to continue to attack. I know Marsh likes to do that stuff. But no matter how you slice it, they don't have as much motivation to get forward and leave gaps. And by the time Leeds are 3-0 up, they are sitting deeper. And they are making Chelsea's lives miserable. And they're not stretching the game nearly as much. So you bring on Christian Pulisic as one of the key players for the last 30 minutes or so. And his game is attacking the open field. And there's just no open field left for him at this point. So between the game state, some of those defensive errors that let them, and, and goalkeeping errors that let them uh, basically dig their own hole, between that and some of the issues that I think Chelsea has in the attack right now with pace and with ideas and creativity, I think that leads to a, a really disappointing performance, no pun intended, with the whole Leeds thing. I, I don't think Tuchel really knows what this team is at the moment, which is perhaps understandable given the, the amount of squad overhaul. There there has been £180 million spent on transfers so far. I expect that that number will rise in the next week. It feels like Chelsea are still in the market, certainly for another another striker. Aubameyang has, has been linked but just in general, looking at the profile of the team, as I say, I'm not entirely sure Tuchel knows what he wants Chelsea to be. And his teams tend to be built on solid foundations. I don't think that is in place at the moment. I thought Koulibaly looked uncomfortable on, on the ball at times, obviously gets a, a red card late on in the game. But even before then, he, he, he struggled. And I do have some sympathy because he rarely had a, a clear option for a pass. I thought Leeds were just doing such a good job of obviously pressing high and cutting off those those passing options for the, the Chelsea defenders. But even the fact that Pulisic and, and Hakim Ziyech come off, off the bench in, in the second half, two players who might not be at Chelsea by the end of the month, I think that says something about how Tuchel is... It's just unsure about the makeup of his his squads at the moment. It feels a little bit like a, a transitional season, this one. Indeed. Well, we're only three games in, as we say. A lot can change between now and next May or so. So maybe we can't uh, conclude too much from these early season games, but uh, certainly uh, Jesse Marsh's lead looking very exciting indeed. And Chelsea have some questions to answer. We'll take a very quick break. When we come back, let's talk about, uh, I think Joe called it the sports washing derby. Let's do that. We can talk about the rest of the Premier League and the rest of the weekend around the world. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's talk about Newcastle United 3, Manchester City 3. Man City coming back from 3-1 down to earn a point in this one. Uh, once again, it looked like um, Man City could sweep this one pretty convincingly when uh, Ilke Gundogan put them up uh, early on. But um, no, that wasn't quite the narrative in this one. Taylor Rockwell, what did you make of this game? What did you make of a Newcastle performance which had uh, Pep Guardiola praising it? I mean, it was awesome. It was my favorite game of the weekend. Not what I expected heading into it, and especially not what I expected when you have City scoring as early as they did. Uh, but I think I'm not the first one to make this point. I think Newcastle going at Man City, being brave, leaving numbers forward, leaving themselves at a disadvantage numerically when it came to keeping defenders back. I think at times they were uh, at a disadvantage numerically, but were able to keep the ball or win the ball higher up the pitch. And then they had numbers further forward to facilitate that possession play. I think it made Man City uncomfortable, and I think they did that regularly. I think it's a credit to Man City that they were able to have the fight back that they did. Contrast that with Chelsea and heads going down when things seemed to be turning against them. And I think you did see some spirit, some fight back from Man City, but I think you also saw a really strong performance from Newcastle that has to make their fans happy, even if it is two points dropped at the end of the day. It's still a point against a Man City team that you can't really think they would have expecting to get, expected to get a point against last year, put it that way. Yeah, definitely. Graham, it seemed like Newcastle were just really good at breaking City's plan mm. in this one. They didn't give them the control they'd expected by any means in this one. And um, Alan St. Maximum is someone we have to yeah. highlight in this game. He was absolutely superb. Was it two assists? He certainly got the second assist. And I think he won the free kick for the third goal as well. I thought San Maxman had his best ever game for Newcastle. Certainly the, certainly the best game I have ever seen him play. He, he was just so effective. And City, particularly when you factor in the opposition, it was it was just such an impressive performance because City are one of the best teams at recovering moments of, of quick transition from op- opposition teams, particularly down Kyle Walker's side. But San Maximan just kept on giving them problems down down that wing. There was a, there was a fifteen minute period at the end of the first half, in particular, where it felt like San Maximan was getting a chance to run at the City defence pretty much every time the the ball was turned over. I don't think his, his his final product was bad at all. As you say there, his uh, you know, assists and, and won the free kick for the, the trippier goal. But had it been even just a little bit sharper, Newcastle probably could have, they could have scored more than three game, three goals in this game. So that, that says a lot about the opportunities that he was having. I thought City were, were disjointed in this match, but Newcastle deserve a huge amount of credit for the way that they stopped City from, from playing their natural game. They, they swarmed City at every opportunity. Most opposition teams find that they are suffocated by City's use of possession, but Newcastle pressed them and cut off the passing routes. And City still had opportunities in this match because it made it a bit like a basketball game. There were there were so many moments of transition, one-on-one opportunities. And but I would say that that also suited Newcastle, maybe even more so than it suited City. Um, and that's maybe when you when you reduce a game to those factors, that's maybe when you have your your best chance of a result against Man City. I'd, I'd, I do wonder how much Haaland's presence on the pitch was an influence on making this match so open at times because. Have teams already figured out that City with Haaland on the pitch this season can actually be hassled and harried more than there was than was the case in the past, certainly in, in the middle of the pitch. So last season you would have had Foden in the number nine position, but he would have dropped deep to offer himself and, and prevent Newcastle from stopping uh, City's midfield play. But instead you have Haaland playing on the shoulder of last defender, trying to get in behind. And yes, that is, that is a, a strength when you have those bas- basketball game moments of quick transition. But other, otherwise, 
that allows Newcastle to basically swarm City in the middle of the pitch. So it, that that's an interesting question. I, I do wonder if Haaland's presence in that team has given opposition sides something to target with Man City. Yeah, Graham, that's exactly where I was about to take this. I think Haaland, this is an example, maybe not an obvious one because City score three goals, but this is an example of some of the byproducts of Erling Haaland being in the lineup. It, it doesn't give City as much control. And Graham, I'm not going to just go repeat everything you said, but I think that's a great point and something for us to watch. Don't just look at, okay, how City's attack doing with Erling Haaland in it. Is it performing better? Are they scoring more goals? What's the XG? Don't don't just look at those things, but also look at how his presence impacts the opposition's chances of scoring. I think in this game with how Newcastle set up and how they approach some of those transition moments that they earned after disrupting City's attacking movement, I think that, that Holland's presence is certainly an impact here, and it very much could be throughout the rest of this year as well. Is it, it to, to use sort of layman's terms then, Graham, this, the idea of Holland being more of a target on the field for the opposition, is it like when there's a big guy in the bar and other big guys want to fight him because he's a big guy? <laughs> is it that? Um, kind of, but I think a, a better analogy would be previously you had a kind of group of smaller guys and they would all protect each other. And now you have the big guy has drawn an, a, one of the guys away from the smaller group. So the smaller group is less in numbers and it now feels like you can maybe beat them in a fight. Yeah. That maybe feels like the analogy. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like, it's like uh, the, the big guy, Erling Holland, can reach over everyone to order faster from the bartender. So the smaller group has sent numbers over to try to stop him from doing so. But because they've now diluted their numbers, yeah. a smaller Holland teammate has ducked in and ordered an entire round of drinks. That's uh, how I see it working. So Holland needs to tip better at the bar. Is that what you're saying, Taylor? I mean, that too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we did have a Holland wall moment, by the way. Uh, I'm now counting yeah. those every single weekend. And he has the one where he's played through. He ends up in a 1v1 and, and the shot is saved really, really well. But it's another instance in which the ball is played in and he has somebody kind of charge into the back of him and they go falling away and he stays on his feet. I don't know how you knock him over. He seems to be ridiculously resilient regardless of where you hit him and when. So I am now also taking note of those moments, Taylor, because you have mentioned it. Was it Dan Byrne? Was it, was it maybe? I, yeah, what? I Dan so. Byrne is a tree and he still yeah. wasn't, able, <laughs> wasn't able to shift Haaland at all. It's ridiculous. I don't quite understand it it's like he's made fully of metal he might be a terminator he might be a targaryen since we've already started the game of thrones references we may as well throw some of those in too yeah well i'm sure he is house of dragon defenders around all day long oh, no nope, that was terrible that was terrible. i mean you know i'll give you credit for the the quickness of it that 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 was worthy that was yeah worthy. it also needed to be good though taylor that's well, the problem that. with that one um that implies uh, that any of them are good right and in, in terms of something that's usually bad but being good um i would also like to praise var taylor uh for calling back the kira yeah. red card because that was I don't know if it's a bold decision, but I'd say it was well-used VAR there because I didn't feel like it was a red card and evidently the uh, referee did the right thing there. I, I I did think it was a red card in the moment. The way it happens, the kind of physicality and how the player goes down, it's Kevin De Bruyne, right, who gets uh, brought down. And it just seemed like one of those reducer challenges to stop a play, but maybe there's a little bit too much into it. So I wasn't surprised when the red came out. But to your point, Ryan... I, I think it was a great usage of VAR, especially you can see where they freeze it to show that he makes an effort, uh, uh, Trippier, to l not lead with his studs, but to lead with the toe and just leave the toe there to trip him. It's a yellow card. It's very cynical. Uh, Max Rushton on Football Weekly was advocating that this is the definitive challenge for why we need a 10-minute sin bin. It's like, it's not quite a yellow. It's not quite a red. It's right in between. You should just be out for 10 minutes and back in. But I think correctly uh, called back and given a 
yellow card for that because it is just a professional foul, a very cynical professional foul, but not a malicious or intent to injury professional foul. And that is a difference to me. From what I could tell on Twitter, your view on whether this was a red card or not, it was kind of dictated by whether you think it should be a red card or not, rather (laughs) than whether it is a red card or not. So (laughs) I think after the VAR review, looking at the laws of the game, it it, it isn't a red card, but I I could maybe get on board with these sort of tackles actually being red card Mm. offences, but that that would require some sort of changing of the laws. I know what you mean. I'm I'm kind of, I would like IFAB to do that, where if there's such a ridiculously cynical professional foul... Like and it's not it's not intent to injure. It's not studs up to stop a counterattack. But just some of those ones where they're clearly not even trying, where it's just clipping a player or it's horse collaring them from the jersey. I'm with you, Graham. I like the idea of that occasionally being given as a red, just to keep defenders slightly more honest. Indeed. All right. Well, this was a thoroughly entertaining match from this weekend, and all the big players, apart from Arsenal, I suppose, have dropped points in this Premier League season so far. So off to a cracky start in terms of. Uh, the neutral fans' perspective, I suppose. Uh, let's take a little look around the houses for the other games to talk about. Uh, Taylor, how about Fulham 3, Brentford 2? A lively one there with uh, Alexander Mitrovic getting a 90th-minute-headed winner. Uh, not long after Ivan Tony had a 71st-minute equaliser in which he imitated Mitrovic's celebration and soon had to be silenced for that. Tony also had two goals ruled out for offside. Now every big club wants to buy him. For for the goals being ruled out for offside or because he keeps scoring goals? I think probably the latter. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably so. Yeah. Uh, I felt very good having him in my, him in my fantasy team. I felt sadder to not have Mitrovic in mine. Uh, but I thought it was a great performance from uh, Ivan Tony. I thought an even better win for Fulham, who I, I think have started the season as strongly as I think they could have realistically hoped for. 2-2 draw at home versus Liverpool. 0-0 draw on the road to Wolves, a very tricky Wolves side, uh, who aren't going to maybe spring surprise attacks on you, but are really difficult to break down. And then, dramatic 3-2 win with Mitrovic getting the big header in the 90th after an incredible save by Raya denied him previously, so it felt like a slight redemption story for Mitrovic in what has sort of become a redemption season because we weren't sure he would end up being the out-and-out starter, and here he is scoring the goals despite not yet being 30, even if I constantly think he's 35. I will keep referencing that. Uh, so a, a great goal from him, a great winner for him, and a great win for Fulham, who have started very, very brightly, and that makes me happy. Indeed, their first win back this was. Uh, Bournemouth, not up to such a great start, though, Graham. Uh, a 3-0 loss at home to Arsenal. Odegaard and Saliba with the goals there. Um, Bournemouth learning why you probably shouldn't give Gabriel Jesus quite a lot of space. Um, <laughs> the highlight was the Saliba chant, though, to the tune of Tequila. Oh, yeah. That is, that is good. It's, 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 um, I think Arsenal fans in the past have had some terrible, terrible chants, but this one, uh, this one offsets some of those chants. I, I enjoyed it. Maybe not after the... The fortieth minute, though, of solid chanting, um, but Saliba was was very good in this game. Gabriel Jesus was really good in this game again. I can't quite believe how good he's been since joining Arsenal. It's it's proof of how a player can reach another level by being used in a in a different way in a different team and with with a with a manager who believes in you. His dribble for the first goal was absolutely sensational. One of the most incredible things I've seen in the Premier League so far this season. I know it's only three games in, but still, it was it was like all of a sudden he just turned into the orig- original Ronaldo. Um, and that's the the sort of thing we've seen from Jesus as an Arsenal player so far this season. 
One feature of Arsenal's play this season, which is in a way related to Jesus' late runs into the box by Odegaard, I think Jesus' signing has created that space for him and that's how he scores the two, uh, his both of his goals in this game against Bournemouth by, by doing this. So keep, out, keep an eye out for that this season. I expect Odegaard will score a good number this season as will Gabriel Jesus, even though he didn't score in this game. Graham, since so far this season, I think I keep praising Gabriel Jesus and then you chime in to praise Zinchenko, I will switch it around and I will say Zinchenko also immense for Arsenal today. And those two signings, I don't know how much Arteta is involved in the transfers. I don't know if he said, get me these two players. It seems like he did because he has the connection to Man City. And if he did, I think it's such a smart bit of business because it's two players who he has familiarity with, has worked with previously, to some extent at least, but I think also knows coming from a Pep system System, that they're two players who have proven themselves to be coachable, who can understand the demands of a high-intensity system, a high-intensity possession system at that, and can function accordingly. But now you're empowering them in a team where they are the central figures. You are giving them more responsibility. You're giving them more of the spotlight than they've ever gotten. And they both seem to be rising to the occasion. I think two huge bits of business that I was not sure would have that big of an impact and now think they could be like big old difference makers for Arsenal this season. Yeah. The moral of the story is, if you want to win soccer matches, sign Man City players. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> That's pretty it. pretty solid uh, thinking there. Uh, Bournemouth have lost 4-0 to Man City already. Then they lost uh, 3-0 to Arsenal as well. Next weekend, Liverpool. Oh, dear. Hey boy. Yeah, that should be fun. Um, Arsenal still looking very good, as we say, though. Um, some light bulbs going off there, perhaps, gents. Some light bulbs <laughs> in the dressing room. See Amazon Prime for details. Uh, Tom- Cringe. <laughs> Indeed. Tottenham won Wolves nil. Uh, Harry Kane, I believe this was his 250th goal for Tottenham, his 185th league goal. A record for a single team in the Premier League, I do believe. Uh, Joe, what do we make of this one? Spurs are are putting in, in, in this week and last week especially, just very functional useful performances and that kind of describes Antonio Conte's style of play we see the back three again in this game it's not uh, an, an exceptional first half from from Tottenham they create very very little take very few shots and then they turn things on in the second half Wolves can't handle it Wolves had a bunch of shots but a bunch of them from outside the box which has been a little bit of a theme for Wolves over the last few years now basically any game where you have Ruben Neves in midfield you're going to be taking pot shots from 35 yards and it didn't pay off for them in this game Harry Kane gets that goal in the second half uh, Spurs, excuse me. In general, I think the much better team in the second half, and with some of the some of the different results happening, we talked about that Man City Newcastle game. City drop points that puts them on seven. Arsenal are the only team in the Premier League right now with nine points. They're the only team to win three games from three. Man City, Leeds, Tottenham, and Brighton are all on seven points. We have some actual chaos in the early rounds of the Premier League, which is not necessarily true for other leagues. Ryan, you may have mentioned two of them already in your intro, but this result's big for Tottenham. Three points would have been even bigger, but a point against Wolves, not the worst result when you consider a lot of the other results that happened across the league this weekend. Indeed. Uh, Not so hot for Leicester fans this weekend. A 2-1 loss at home to Southampton. A comeback win for Southampton. This wasn't Chad Adams with a very nice um, uh, scissor kick for the winner. He was a substitute in this game as well. Scotland's Uh, Chad Adams? You mean? Indeed, that's the one. Uh, that was Southampton's first win since April as well. Leicester, meanwhile, in the bottom three, as we see, and winless as well. I think in the uh, preseason previews, Graham, we mentioned both these teams could be in trouble this season. This could be like the derby of teams we didn't think would do well this season. So who's going to be worse? It seems like Leicester at the moment, Graham. 
I would be worried if I'm Leicester at the moment. I, th- I saw some statistics on just how poor they have been in the attacking third. I can't quite remember the numbers, but the I think it's something like they've they've had eight shots on target in three games and it doesn't exactly... The fact that they've scored as many goals as they have is somewhat remarkable. They're, they're overperforming their XG and it just feels like... I felt like Brendan Rodgers needed a good start to this season to really prove that he's still the man for the job and they have not had that at all. So it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe Leicester City are making a managerial change at some point this season. I know we're only two games in for Liverpool and Manchester United, but looking at places 15 to 20 it feels like one of those random FIFA career mode seasons when you look at the table at the end and you think like come on FIFA at least make it realistic (laughs) but I was not expecting Liverpool 15th Everton 16th Wolves 17th Leicester 18th Man United 19th West Ham 20th negative five goal difference zero points for not really the ranking that I was expecting at the bottom of the table, but yeah, it, credit to the Premier League for being topsy-turvy and, and fun, at least through the first three games. Yeah, we, we were speaking about this in our Slack channel during the Newcastle City game. It's, it's just been a, a, a very entertaining start to the Premier League season. I think there are a lot of good teams even outside the top six, so Newcastle and Brighton and... Uh, um, Fulham have been surprising I didn't mm-hmm. expect them to be up there this season Brentford are well coached team Palace are play, playing some really nice stuff it, it does kind of feel like the Premier League is uh, there's a lot of storylines going on, going on at the moment there are the Premier League where hot snow falls up and hamburgers eat people uh, one team has not <laughs> scored so far West Ham. They've had a 2-0 home loss to Brighton. Uh, pretty bad season for them so far. Uh, Brighton are unbeaten, though. Their longest unbeaten run in top flight history at eight games at the moment. Bravo to Brighton. Crystal Palace 3, Aston Villa 1. Will Zaha with a brace there for Palace's first win of the campaign. You catch this one, Graham? I did. Another match between former Premier League legendary midfielders turned managers. Last week it was Gerard versus Lampard and this week it was Gerard versus Vieira. Vieira coming out on top of, of this one. As I just said there, Palace are playing some really nice stuff this season. Obviously we, we already knew that from last season but it kind of feels like they have taken um, at least one step forward after the summer. Um, some lovely football in this game here with Wilfred Zaha in particular but also Eberechi Eche and Odson Edwards and Zaha in particular, as, as I mentioned there, he, he was just electric in this game. Villa um, did give him a lot of space, I think it's, it's fair to say. And I was reading that Vieira has publicly set a target of 20 goals for him this season. And that might seem slightly far-fetched, but he's got three already this season. And it feels like Palace are very much playing to his strength. So maybe that maybe that is realistic. As for, as for Villa, I know they won last weekend and that eased a little bit of the pressure. But there's just a growing sense that Gerrard needs a, a good run of results soon. Because Villa have spent a lot of money... They put a lot of faith in Steven Gerrard and, and I'm not sure they're truly delivering at the moment. There was an upturn in form last season when he came in, but for the, the individual talent that they have within that squad and as I say, the money that has been spent, I don't think they are producing what they should be producing at this moment in time. Same could be said, Graham, for Everton. A 1-1 draw with Nottingham Forest. Amaro Gray getting uh, Everton a point 12 minutes from time. Toffee still winless. That's their worst start since 1919. Forest narrowly denied their first Premier League away win since 1999. Very 90s feel to this game, Graham. Yeah, yeah indeed. Just a, a 90s feel to every match that Forest are playing at the moment. I'm not over the novelty of them being back in the Premier League. Looking at Everton for a moment, I am a bit more positive about Everton now than I was a few weeks ago where I was really, really worried that they might this might be the season that they get relegated from the Premier League. That might still pan out, 
but I do think Lampard is finding some answers with that back three. I think Connor Cody is a good fit for this Everton team. A word for Alex Awobi as well. When Taylor and I were speaking about Everton before the start of the season, we we kind of mocked the notion of Awobi as a central midfielder, but shows what we know. He's been very good in there, at least in the early part of the season, and I can imagine how pairing him with Onana, the, the new signing that Everton have made, the new midfielder, I can imagine how that will work, actually. So as I say, slightly more positive times for Everton at the moment. Indeed. Uh, one other game to, of note, which will have happened most likely by the time many listeners listen to this podcast, Manchester United against Liverpool, of course. Taylor, uh, quick thoughts on the nil-nil draw slash game that was postponed due to demonstrations. Yeah, I think that second one remains a possibility. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm nervous as a Manchester United fan. I think it could be a good game for Liverpool fans uh, if Liverpool are able to kind of, after starting with what two draws to get their season off with a, with a big win over a rival. I think that will be good for them. Obviously, for Manchester United, expectations are at an all time low, so it would be a game in which if they did play some of the kids, if they did get a draw or did show some fight or did show some collective spirit, I think that's where the bar is right now. A a sort of coherent, cohesive performance is progress, and I think that's what most fans or supporters would be hoping for. Uh, second to the game being postponed because of uh, fan protests and then the Glazers announcing they're going to sell. That's number one. But that unlikely scenario aside, some progress and a half-decent game against Liverpool feels like a good result. Mm. I wonder how out of date those comments will sound when this is published, Taylor. Oh, uh, you sure. mean when they win 5-0 <laughs> and I claim to have known the whole way that it was going to happen? Yeah, I think they'll probably sound pretty out of date. Sure. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go around the continent. We're going to go to MLS, and then we're going to wrap this thing up back shortly. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to La Liga. Uh, Barcelona, Taylor, with their first win of the season, a 4-1 win at Real Sociedad. Mm-hmm. Robbie Lewandowski getting a brace on his 34th birthday. Aww, isn't that Yay. fun? That's good for him. I mean, I, I think anybody doing... Things at a high level in their mid mid thirties. I'm gonna th- throw 34 in his late thirties. You know, makes me feel like I can still get out there. There's still a chance for me to also sign for Barcelona. Uh, it seems less likely. Uh, yeah. I will say it did seem odd to me to see them in a back three. And if we keep seeing that, I wonder how much 
consternation and fan outrage there will be the way there was when Ronald Koeman played a back three <laughs> and was constantly vil- villainized for that one. But Xavi, I'm guessing, has a slight bit more leeway when it comes to doing things his way. So I think uh, the formation change seems to have worked for them, seems to have gotten the result, and seems to have got Lewandowski uh, scoring some goals and Ansu Fati looking quite, quite good. Yeah, two assists and a goal for Fati coming off the bench. Very good from him. Uh, Jules Koundé still not registered for Barcelona, Graham. Uh, everything's fine, right? I read that if he's still not registered within 10 days, he can leave Barcelona for free. That is in his that's a clause in his contract, which the fact that that is in that was negotiated into the contract doesn't say a lot for the faith that these players that are joining Barcelona have in actually Barcelona being able to put them on a pitch in a team. Indeed. I just I picture that contract negotiation where they're like, oh no, this is this is standard. It's not about you as Barcelona look at them like skeptically, like, no, no, we promise, we know you're gonna do it. We put this in every contract. Don't worry about it. He can go elsewhere though. That's definitely allowed, right? Like it does seem <laughs> like a thing maybe they were slightly aware of those lawyers. Yeah, no, no, no. We had that at Sevilla. Manchu was yeah, cool yeah. with it. It's all of course, fine. Of course. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent business all around. Um, Barcelona weren't the only ones to get a 4-1 away win. Real Madrid doing the same thing at Celta Vigo. Uh, Joe, this was a fun one, wasn't it? Modric's goal was pretty good. Top corner from 25 yards out and all that. And he's, what, is he 55 next month or something? Yeah, Modric is is ridiculous. I think he's 80. He's turning 80 next month, as you said. Has some beautiful passes in this game. Gets to the goal, too. This, this Madrid team dominated large stretches of this game. Let's not uh, look past the headline here of Luca De La Torre getting his La Liga debut for three minutes at the end of a blowout. That is, that is just a key narrative here. Setting that narrative aside, however, I, I'm fascinated by this Real Madrid team right now. We haven't talked about it, I don't think, much on this show slash at all. Casemiro going to Manchester United. We'll talk about transfers more as the month gets closer to an end. But the midfield is changing for Real Madrid. In this game, we get Chouameni and we get Camavinga. Camavinga, of course, was there last season. But we get those two and Luka Modric, of course, the elder statesman in that midfield group. But I'm curious to see how that changes Real Madrid. It's going to make them a more effective pressing team than certainly you would have been with Toni Kroos and Casemiro. Casemiro is still very dangerous defensively, but he's he's not the same player he used to be in terms of mobility. And Toni Kroos was really never that guy. And Luka Modric isn't really that guy either. Chiumeni and Kamavinga, they're not like all-out defenders all the time, but they certainly bring more youthful energy and mobility in that space. So I'm curious to see how Madrid leverages that changing of the guard of sorts, at least a partial changing of the guard, into maybe a more effective defensive structure rather than the the full-on Ancelotti vibes. We'll still see plenty of Ancelotti vibes this season, but we're going to see, I think, maybe a little more structure defensively or at least a little more defensive ability tossed in there too. This has become very exciting all of a sudden as, as a neutral because with, with Camavinga and Chiumeni, the idea was that they would kind of serve as understudies to Casemiro and Kroos and, and Modric this season and then the transition would happen gradually over time. But obviously with Casemiro surprisingly leaving Real Madrid um, for Manchester United, they are all of a sudden going to be key figures for this Real Madrid team. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how they do. I think Camavinga and Chiumeni are are two of that new breed of central midfielder that I've spoken about before where they can do basically everything. They're not defensive midfielders, they're not number eights, they're not attacking midfielders. They're pretty good on all sides of the game. So seeing how Ancelotti moulds that into a new midfield unit, as I say, is going to be very interesting. Indeed. Uh, Atletico Madrid nil, Villarreal 2, Graham. Woof. Yeah, obviously a bad result for Atletico Madrid, who... At this moment, if I had to identify what their biggest issue is, they just they just haven't settled on a, an attacking approach. 
um, this season. I, I do think that is a big problem for them at the moment. Simeone has a number of high-level at- attackers, and there is some chat that one, maybe even two of them could leave before the end of the window. But right now, he just doesn't seem to know what he wants in terms of how Atleti should play in the final third. Yao Felix and Alvaro Morata, they start this game up front. Then Matthias Cunha, Griezmann and Angel Correa all come off the bench in the second half. And with the exception of an opportunity for Cunha seconds after he's introduced, Atleti really failed to create anything at all. For Villarreal, though, the match was pretty much set up for them to, to play their, their natural game and they scored two goals on the, on the counter-attack, two very well-taken goals, one through Jeremy Pino and the other through Gerard Moreno late on. Atleti were chasing the game at that point, so there was a lot of space for them to exploit. But that's exactly what Villarreal did. They can be pleased with this performance, but for Atleti, it was another messy performance by them. I say another, they actually started the season pretty well, but this is a throwback to what last season was like for them um, and Simeone has some, some solutions to find. Indeed. Let's turn our attention to Serie A into Milan with two wins from two, a 3 0 win over Spezia this weekend. Uh, Romelu Lukaku setting up uh, Lotaro Martinez for a really lovely opener, like a nodded header down for Lotaro to blast in from distance. That was very enjoyable to see. Uh, the other Milan side were held 1 uh, 1 at Atalanta. Uh, ben Asser's equaliser, Graham. Oh, Beautiful. yes. Beautiful. Oh. Oh, there were a lot of good goals this weekend. The Creed and Trippier um, free kick, the Luka Modric goal that we just spoke about there. And I think the Benacer goal was the equaliser in this game was was right up there. The way he creates the space for himself, you think to yourself, well, he's well, he's, he's going to cross this into the box, surely. That's the only option available to him. But shifts it onto his left foot and just bends that finish inside the the inside the the inside of the 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 post the far post and it was just magnificent. He was also very good in this in this match in general. AC Milan weren't that good. They were a long way from their best, but this is a difficult place to go. So they, it, it's difficult to know whether they'll see this as two points dropped or or one game, but one game, but an, an entertaining match. Uh, a big win for Napoli, a 4-0 win over Monza, a newly promoted Monza, that is, who've lost two from two so far. Not starting Serie A life with the pace of a Ferrari, right? Monza, Ferrari? Yeah, anyway. Um, a really good goal here, Taylor, from... You do, you do realise that Silvio Berlusconi owns yeah. Monza. There were yeah. so many puns there, and you went yeah. with a Ferrari joke. Okay, I'll get back to the drawing board. Leave it with me, Graham. Leave it with me. <laughs> I, can't, I I am shocked. That is the most surprising result of the weekend that Ryan didn't have multiple <laughs> Berlusconi sex puns ready to go. <laughs> and now I'm thinking Monza Monza party. I'm thinking of... Uh, <laughs> Monza Monza, Monza, Monza party. Exactly. By the way, <laughs> dibs on Berlusconi uh, sex puns as my new fantasy team name. Wonderful stuff. You can um, change it, a, Taylor. Like you can change it right now, and, and we can't. I'm just stop worried you. that you actually are changing it right now because it's such a good name, Joe. I see. <laughs> yeah, you better be quick on that one. <laughs> yeah, we had a very good uh, opening goal in this game from Kvitsha Kvaratskhelia. I think I'm going to go. Yeah, Kvaradona. is that right? I think Taylor? so. Uh, yeah, Kvaradona is is the easier one. I think. Yeah, Kvitsha Kvaratskhelia. I think. Yeah, Ryan. I think you you got it pretty well there. 21 year old Georgian winger. Uh, brought in as a replacement for many of the attackers they let go, but has been backing it up with with solid performances and goals. But then I think for Napoli fans, uh, talking to David Amoyal last Friday, uh, going over all things Serie A, that was a really great interview and a very informative one at that. He talked a lot about how Napoli fans must be feeling uncertain about some of the deals and then 
then with Osimhen, his injury issues, his fitness concerns, will he be good to go? And so in this game, you get uh, Kavardana scoring, you get Osimhen scoring, and you get uh, Kim Min Jai scoring in the 90th, the center back who's the replacement for Kaladu Kulabali. So right there, I think three signings doing some pretty solid things. Uh, I guess two from this summer, one from last year, but all the same. Uh, signings making a difference for Napoli, who I have to believe are feeling slightly more confident than they were prior to beating a team 4 now. Yeah, I was in Naples this weekend and they won big. Coincidence? Almost definitely. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the Bundesliga. Uh, Bochum nil, Bayern Munich 7. Goodness me, 15 <sighs> goals in the opening three games. Uh, the, a sigh of uh, joy there, Joe? Well, what are we doing? You know, like what, what's... <laughs> I, I just, I, I mean, I guess fair play to Bayern and the Bundesliga in general for pivoting and just, well, not even pivoting, just carrying on the theme that we talked about in the big thing last week. I guess, thank you for that. Folks, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen. Nice Taylor plug. Graham and I did yeah. a did a big thing episode on Bayern Munich's dominance in the Bundesliga and, and sort of what it means and whether or not it's a problem. And I, I fall squarely in the camp of, yeah, it is a problem because what are we supposed to talk about in the Bundesliga this week? Bayern Munich get a dominant victory again. The rest of the Bundesliga is self-destructing. RB Leipzig lose to Union Berlin. Credit to Jordan Pifak for getting a goal. That is something we can talk about and I can talk about with joy. And the Borussia Dortmund lose 2-3 two to three to Werder Bremen. And so those are the two teams, the two teams, along with Bayer Leverkusen, that were supposed to do something this Don't year. Leverkusen, Leipzig, yeah. yeah, yeah, Leipzig, I looped in there. Leverkusen lost again, so they're winless through three games. Uh, Dortmund lose, Leipzig lose. I, I, I just there's there's no there's nothing for me in the Bundesliga right now, and it's it's really sad because I I used to like watching the Bundesliga. Joe, Joe, jo, you didn't even mention I, I I don't think you even mentioned the manner of Dortmund's defeat. So they they were two 0 up with one, time. one minute to play. 89th uh, minute, two below. Yeah, they then conceded three times in five minutes and lost this game three two. And this was the first time in Bundesliga history that a team had been two 0 up. Or sorry, a team had been 2-0 down after 89 minutes and gone on to win the match. Not great, Dortmund. Not great. I'll tell you what, though, Graham, from that game, that Werder Bremen uh, unlikely victory, I am going to make the bold claim that Werder Bremen's kits are the nicest in Europe. It's not pick coral. Is it coral with the green accents? I think they're fantastic. Yeah, and on, on paper, if you'd written that down, coral shirts, green shorts, you'd think, ugh, not sure about that. But they're very nice, I agree. Yeah, indeed. So the moral of the Bundesliga weekend was Bayern Munich won massively and every other good team lost. Uh, That seems to be a nice summary of what went on there. Let's move on to MLS, Joe Larry's MLS corner. Uh, LAFC, the first team to clinch a playoff spot after their draw with the Rapids, Joe. Yeah, and, and they actually they actually lost this weekend to the San Jose Earthquakes, but I believe there were other results in the West that led to LAFC clinching despite that that loss that broke up a win streak they had going in Major League Soccer. LAFC did some rotation stuff. It didn't work out for them. San Jose riding a, a small high right now between Luchi Gonzalez, that, that move being announced that Gonzalez will join them as their next manager after the World Cup. And, you know, a reminder that there's some talent in this squad and they're happy to play spoiler, even though it, it seems very unlikely that they're going to hop anywhere near the playoffs as the season goes on. I think the biggest result, the, okay, the funniest result this weekend was Philly beating D.C. 6-0 after beating them 7-0 earlier this season. So just to uh, do a little quick math, yeah. that's a 13-0 goal difference, uh, 13-0 uh, scoreline, aggregate scoreline for the Union over D.C. United. Wayne Rooney is improving things pretty clearly, going from 7-0 under Chad Ashton to 6-0 under Wayne Rooney. At this rate, 
Taylor, by like 2026, DC will be able to draw against the Philadelphia Union. And that, to me, feels like a big win. That's the funniest result of the weekend. I hate this segment. I like this segment. This is good. Um, no, I, I do feel for DC fans because there's a, no, a lot of No, you don't get to do that. You don't get rooting. to do that. It can be funny and also painful at the same time, Taylor. The, the most interesting or maybe the wildest game outside of that this weekend, I think, was the 3-3 draw between the LA Galaxy and the Seattle Sounders. Chicharito gets a goal. Raul Ruiz Diaz gets a goal as he's working his way back to fitness. The Sounders are in a different shape. They're hopping in a 3-5-2 in this game, which I think made a lot of sense without Christian Roldan, who's dealing with a little knock. And then they're still trying to find themselves, Seattle, right now. And they're at the risk of losing their 13 consecutive playoff appearance streak that they have over the last 13 seasons. So this was a fun game. They almost had this 3-2 come from behind win. Then Dejan Jovalich steps up and scores off the bench, which he does in pretty much every single game that he comes off the bench. This game was fun, and that, that's not even accounting for Ricky Puja's entrance into Major League Soccer, his first ever appearance. He, he looks really good. I mean, it, I don't think he had a massive impact on this game, but his ability on the ball, his receiving, getting the ball on his right foot, keeping play moving, moving off the ball, you can just tell how quickly he's reading what's happening. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Puj play over the next month and a half or so, and maybe longer if the Galaxy make the playoffs. Yeah, uh, my brain's slightly disconnected when mentioning the LAFC uh, playoff clinch there, Joe. But one thing I wanted to come back to was the uh, DC United loss. That last goal, Corey Burke's goal for six, like a first touch shot, which the keeper was absolutely nowhere near. I couldn't tell if it was an amazing goal or the keeper was completely out of position or had given up. Yeah, yeah, there's there's been a few of those at the, <laughs> over even this weekend. Uh, DC, I will say, Ryan, have a really bad goalkeeping situation right now. David Ochoa started in midweek against LAFC, and they go back to Rafael Romo, who they brought in midseason as a Bill Hamid replacement. But Romo has been not good at all, and it, it really is time for David Ochoa to get that job if... If there's not something else going on behind the scenes, I would kind of doubt that there would be, but it seems like there certainly was an RSL. So I don't know what's going on with Ochoa, but I would expect, unless there's something happening that we don't know about, it, it should be Ochoa's job for the rest of the year, and there's just no doubt in my mind about that. Hey boy. All right, only one more game I wanted to bring up on this here weekend review. Uh, the other team, Graham, that scored seven goals this weekend, Paris Saint-Germain 7, Lille 1. Uh, Kylian Mbappe scoring after just eight seconds. Yeah. Uh, and he got a hat-trick in this one as well. Uh, PSG has scored, I believe, 17 times in their opening three games. I think they might be all right this season. Yeah, I think I think they might win the league on title. Um, even when they're not so good, they still managed to win that title as they did last season. So I'm not drawing any solid conclusions from what we have seen from PSG so far this season. I think the Champions League is where we can make th- those uh, those measurements on them. But they have been very good and very strong under Christophe Gaultier so far this season. The most impressive thing being that Mbappe, Messi and Neymar seem to be on the same page on the pitch, if not off it. Those reports about Mbappe wanting to force out Neymar still persist, so we'll see what happens there before the end of the transfer window. But looking at this game in particular, there's one goal that Messi scores where he plays this perfect pass in behind and he swerves it out to Nuno Mendes on the left side. He cuts it back to Messi, and he just kind of rolls it into the net. That description doesn't quite do the the the, the finish justice. I would I would suggest 
listeners go and uh, find that goal. It's just a sensational finish that makes you realise that Messi, Messi plays this sport on a higher level. He's able to see things and do things that just no other player in the history of the game is able to do. And if Christoph Gaultier's system and his approach gets more moments out of him, because there were few and far between last season, it wasn't his best season for PSG or, or, or in football in general, then I'm in favour. I hope there are more goals like that. Indeed. All right. I think that just about wraps up weekend review. By the way, listener, if you want to join our Premier League Fantasy League, I'll put a code in the uh, episode description. I am 426th in the league. I'm doing great. Um, but congratulations to Calitoon, Dustin Sullivan, who is top over the league right now. What did you say you were, Ryan? 400 and something. 426th, it says here. Ha! I'm 345th. I am clearly winning out of this situation. We're both Joe, doing great. Where yeah. are you? I'm trying to find it right now. I, I may have deleted the app off my phone. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm searching oh, for it. Wow. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Very convenient okay. scorekeeping. That's what I have to say. Um, yeah. I, am, I have 46 points right now, which is better than the average of 38. I have no clue how to see my total rank in the league, so I'll circle back to we, that We're going to need to give you a tutorial on this, Joe. You're I probably feel so tall. old right now. I feel so old. <laughs> Taylor, any idea where you are? I'm 51. What? Wow. Yeah, so I mean, it's okay. Well. So, uh, some of us have played fantasy a whole bunch, and some of us are just apparently exceptionally good at it to be in the top 51. I'm not sure I'm actually good at this. The, the oh, last few God. seasons, I've had a very consistent pattern where I start strongly and then fade away. I'm a bit of a Bielsa in fantasy terms, so I'm a bit worried that I've had a bad start and I need Jesse Marsh to save me. you got to get marshed. <laughs> That's all it takes. You've been oh. marshed. <laughs> So there are only 50 players in our league better than uh, T-Rock at the moment. Ah, 280. I found it. I'm really happy with that. Is that better than Graham and Ryan? Yes, it is. It is. Wow, that feels good. I hate this game. I love this game. This is fun. I'm I'm the worst of us. And in many ways, I am the worst of us. (laughs) Yeah, that should be a new feeling for you. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. On that note, Taylor Rocker, thank you very much for your contributions today. Love you, buddy. (laughs) You too. Graham Rutherford, thank you, sir. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, pleasure as always. Right back at you, Ryan. Listener, thank you so much for joining us on this here weekend review. We'll be back on the feed very soon. But for now, bye. Bye. 